Now, I realized that last Sunday I said I was wrapping up our series in John, and I meant it when I said it. The only problem is there's still a lot more meat in John, and I just couldn't move on yet. So we're circling back in John to chapter 16, and uh, there was a lot of material to, to look through in a gospel as rich and deep as the gospel of John. And this one just jumped out at me that I wanted to go back to it because I, I feel as though there's maybe someone here this morning who needed this message. And uh, it's just the one that unfolded for me this past week. And so I pray that it'll be a blessing to you and that God will speak to you through it. So w- would you bow with me once more and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is always alive and active. It is not just static words on a page. They are alive for us today by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so I ask, Lord, that through your Spirit, that you administer to each one of us by your word, speak through me, your servant, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In the year 1996, a 57-year-old sailor named Tony Bullimore set out with great enthusiasm on the adventure of a lifetime. Something he'd always wanted to do was enter the Vendee Globe single-handed around-the-world race. Now, that's quite a mouthful, but as the name implies, the contestants in this race would sail their yachts alone in a race around the world. Now, the inherent dangers in solo oceanic sailing are obvious, and so it comes as little surprise that that race was fraught with incidents. But Tony Bullimore, a seasoned sailor and confident in his abilities, he started the race strong and managed to avoid any incident until January 5th, 1997. When sailing deep in the South Pacific Ocean, he was struck by a ferocious gale. The waves reached the height of five-story buildings, rushing down on him with the sound he described like roaring thunder. Then as his yacht, the Exide Challenger, plummeted down the face of one of those gigantic waves, it struck something submerged in the water and capsized. When the news that he had gone missing emerged, the majority of press and the media reports assumed that the 57-year-old sailor had capsized and drowned. But somehow, Tony was still alive, temporarily saved by a small air pocket in the cabin of his upside-down boat. But his situation was still dire. The tiny three-foot by six-foot cabin had now become his prison. As giant waves continued to buffet the boat, cold water poured in and out of a broken window, knee-high at one end, waist-high at the other. The air temperature had dropped down to two degrees Celsius. To make matters worse, he was trapped in complete darkness and had lost all of his food supplies. All he had was one bar of chocolate. But not one to go down without a fight, No fewer than 12 times, Tony swam out from the submerged cabin and attempted to release his life raft. But meeting with no success, he again took refuge back in his little cabin. Now shivering in the cold, wet, inky darkness, his fingers soon became frostbitten and the early signs of hypothermia began to set in. Three long days and nights passed in this condition, in utter darkness. He knew the odds of being rescued in the vast Pacific Ocean were impossibly small, a needle in a haystack, and his hope was beginning to fade. As the fourth day arrived, Tony Bullimore, who had begun his voyage with such enthusiasm, finally resigned himself to the fact 
that his story was not going to have a happy ending. He was going to die there, stuck in the middle of his journey, his cabin serving as his coffin. Now let me ask you this morning, have you ever been stuck in a dark place before? Have you ever been stuck in something you just couldn't see a way out of, and you resigned yourself to the situation? Now, maybe it's not one quite so dramatic as Tony Bullimore's story, but one where, like him, you started out on something with great enthusiasm and perhaps confidence, but then somewhere along the way, everything just started to go wrong, and then no matter what you did, no matter what you tried, things just kept going from bad to worse. And now you're just stuck there in the middle of that situation, stuck in the dark with seemingly no way out, no way forward. I would suspect that most of us have experienced a situation like that, at least in some way, at some point in our lives. In fact, it's entirely possible that someone's feeling that they're stuck in a situation like that right now, this very moment. Of course, the variety of situations and circumstances are almost limitless. I'm sure if we went through the the congregation this morning and had time to take a poll from everyone, we would be shocked at the number of situations represented in this very room this very moment. It could be with a nagging health issue that just won't go away. It could be a battle with depression or anxiety. It could be something, a struggle with a harmful addiction or a destructive habit. It could be with someone at school or work or a family member who for some reason has it out for you, who's putting you down, making your life miserable. It could be with a dearly loved child, someone who is breaking your heart, strayed from the Lord and is now making bad decisions, living a worldly life far from God. It could be in your marriage. It could be in a wounded relationship with someone, perhaps a friend or a close family member, someone you were once very close with, but now you're estranged. It could be searching for a job or the right career path. It could be financial strain. It could be long-lasting grief after the death of a loved one. It could even be with someone that you're trying so hard to help, but they keep making bad decisions after another, and you just don't know what else to do with them. I could go on and on giving examples, but I suspect that some of you have already been able to pinpoint, put your finger on the one place or situation that you feel stuck in the middle of right now. A dark place where tries you might, you just can't see a way out or through. Well, thankfully, the Bible is full of examples just like this. Abraham was promised a son, a great nation. But as the years slipped by, he watched with increasing doubt as he and his barren wife grew wrinkled and old without a child. Moses was called by God to lead the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. But he then spent the next 40 years wandering the wilderness with a stubborn and stiff-necked people who were always one step away from stoning him. Then we see David, anointed as a young man, the next king of Israel, just a boy. But then he spent much of the next two decades running and hiding from the murderous king Saul, intent on taking his life. In each of these stories, we see people stuck in the middle of a dark place, often for a very long period of time. Now when we turn in our text this morning to John chapter 16, and there in verse 16, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. Here we discover Jesus' disciples facing such a dark moment as well. 
The setting is Jesus is sharing the Last Supper together with his disciples on the night of his betrayal. It's a story we know well. He had just tenderly shown his love for his disciples by washing their feet, including Judas's feet. And so, after this act of love and devotion, they're sitting around the table, and Jesus now, knowing the time is short, knowing the fullness of time had come, he wants to relay many important things to his disciples in these last hours. And so he begins to speak to them, and he teaches them many things concerning heaven, concerning the soon-coming Holy Spirit, but also repeatedly touching on his coming departure from them. And it was this issue of his coming departure that perplexed and troubled the disciples the most. And we pick up the story in verse 16, where Jesus said to them, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. This passage shows us the deep confusion that's surrounding this setting for the disciples. They just don't get it. And the disciples' confusion exemplifies our natural human response to dark and troubling and confusing situations. Like them, we want all the answers right now. We want to know things like, What does a little while mean? How long will I be stuck here in the dark? And ultimately, how are things going to turn out in the end? Are things going to be all right? Well, the disciples' confusion is obvious, and in verse 19, it continues. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now, I can't help but vividly recall the lengthy and painful process that Leanne endured in order to bring our first child into the world. Over 12 hours of hard labor, which finally ended in an emergency C-section, followed by a lengthy recovery process. And being a witness to all of this for the very first time, all I can say is that Jesus rightfully described that process as anguish. It's not easy. And I know as a man, all the women are looking at me saying, you have no idea. All the, pardon me, all the mothers are saying that. And without going into further description, all I can say, all I can say is that I was and remain in awe of what Leanne willingly endured to bring our son into the world. But what impressed me most of all is that only minutes after coming out of the operating room, as she held our precious little bundle for the first time and she sat there staring into his tiny face, Leanne looked up at me and said, I'll do it again. Now as a man, (laughs) now as a man who had just witnessed everything that she had endured, if it had been me who had just gone through all of that, 
I'd have been saying something more like, let's think about this. I might be good with just one. But for Leanne, it was exactly as Jesus described. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Incredible. Jesus described it to a T. No matter how sharp the pain or how long the labor, in the end, joy triumphs over anguish. And in verse 22, Jesus continues to the application point. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will be able to take away your joy. Now, of course, the disciples remained confused about what grief Jesus was talking about. And then he finally spelled it out for them in verse 28. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Verse 29, then Jesus' disciples replied, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. And then verse 31, Jesus says, You believe at last, but a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Oh, how devastatingly dark those coming hours of Friday night would be for the disciples. Oh, how deep the confusion as they see Judas coming towards them, leading temple guards, wondering what is Judas doing with them? What is he about to do? Then seeing him betray their master with a kiss. Oh, how visceral the fear then as they ran and scattered, just as Jesus had foretold, abandoning him alone. Oh, how devastating the despair as Jesus was then led away and crucified. And oh, how crippling the grief as finally Jesus' dead body is removed from that cross and laid to rest in the tomb. And as the the morning hours of Saturday broke, yes, the sun still shone in the sky, but not in their hearts that day. Saturday came, and it was a dark Saturday. And there they were, stuck right smack in the middle of God's grand story of redemption for the entire world. But get this, the disciples couldn't see it. They were right in the middle of the grandest event in history, and they couldn't see it. All they could see was failure, defeat, and death. To them, it seemed as though Satan had won. He had prevailed. Evil had carried the day. That all of the hope and trust they had placed in Jesus, it was just dashed to a million pieces on the ground. To them, it was all over. And there they were Saturday, hiding away in fear of the Jews, and they resigned themselves to the fact that their story was not going to have a happy ending. If only in those dark hours they could have remembered the words of Jesus. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Saturday was a good day for the Pharisees. Saturday, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious elite, all those who had been responsible for Jesus' death were feeling very satisfied. We did it. We got rid of him. There was no riot. We got rid of the troublemaker. They're rejoicing. And that's exactly what Jesus said. You will grieve while the world rejoices. But then he goes on. You will grieve, but 
your grief will turn to joy. On that dark Saturday, what the disciples didn't realize was that the story wasn't over yet. It just seemed that way. When in fact, they were stuck in the middle of the grandest story in history. And that the final chapter was going to be so spectacular, so incredible, that it would change the course of history forever. That Jesus' victory over the grave sin and Satan would be so complete that not only would the disciples' anguish be turned to joy, but that nothing and no one would ever be able to rob them of the joy ever again. We left off the story of Tony Bolomar with him there huddled and shivering inside the tiny cabin of his capsized yacht. And after those four long and torturous days, shivering in the cold and perpetual darkness, Tony had finally resigned himself to the fact that he would not be rescued and that his cabin would soon become his coffin. But then late Wednesday night, Bullimore began to hear a faint pinging sound. At first he believed he had just gone delirious. But as the sound continued, it persisted. His hope began to rise. And with the little energy he had left, he started tapping on the hull to signal to whoever was listening that he was alive. Tony later learned that a Royal Australian Air Force search plane had spotted him and dropped an electronic probe next to his yacht. And early the next morning, the HMAS Adelaide drew alongside and some sailors were dispatched to bang on the hull. Tony heard the banging, took a deep breath, and swam out through the wreckage of his yacht to meet them. And six days later, reflecting on his experience, Bullimore told reporters, quote, When I looked over at the Adelaide, I could only get the tremendous ecstasy that I was looking at life itself. I was actually looking at a picture of what life was about. It was heaven, absolute heaven. I really, really never thought I would reach that far. I was starting to look back over my life, saying to myself, well, I've had a good life. I've done most of the things I wanted to do. I think if I was picking words to describe the sensation of my rescue, it would be a miracle, an absolute miracle. In these last six days, I'm a different person. It was like being born again all over. That's how I feel now, like I was being born again. Tony Bullimer learned what it is to be in the deepest grief and despair and then have it conquered by the joy of life. And even in human terms, he found it so powerful that he could only describe it as being born again. So let me ask you, how much more powerful is the joy of being born again into eternal life? A gift that nothing and no one can ever take away. No matter what we face, no matter what circumstances, even death itself, no one can take our salvation from us and the joy of the Lord that goes with it. So let me ask you again. Do you feel stuck in a dark place right now? With seemingly no way out or through? God wants you to know the story isn't over yet. Like the disciples on Saturday, you might be right in the middle of seeing God do something spectacular. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see a way out or through. But God had a way. And even if, like the disciples, you feel confused and don't understand why God is allowing you to go through what you're going through, or whether you're asking, what does a little while mean that I have to endure for? 
Trust that just as God did not forsake the disciples, he has not and will not forsake you. Remember, whatever you are facing, it is only for a little while. So do not give way to fear or doubt or despair. Instead, recognize today that you are in the middle of a story. God's story. And then trust God, the author of the story, as it unfolds, knowing that all his ways are good, that all his plans are to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope, and that in the end the joy of the Lord will triumph over even the deepest and darkest of our days. And one day, perhaps much sooner than we think, we will see how our personal story fits into the grand story of redemption that God has been writing since before the world began. So today, no matter what you are going through, no matter what you will yet go through in life, be encouraged. For in this world you will have trouble, Jesus said. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This joy is a joy so great, so real, that nothing and no one can take it from us because of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this joy. This joy that can conquer the darkest of despair. Even death itself has been defeated by this joy because this joy comes from you. It is a joy that you purchased at the price of your own body and blood poured out on Calvary. You went into the grave and death itself and you came back victorious. And we see it on Easter Sunday that as you rose from the grave and the disciples grief was transformed to joy so you too promise that whatever we face it is only for a little while and that as we endure with hope and faith in you we have faith that we will see a better day a new dawn is coming when all things will be made right and we know that ultimately lord this day the fulfillment of all of this day will come when you return and we will be with you forever And so, Lord, we look forward to that day. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here today who resonates with this message, who feels like, yeah, I'm stuck right in the middle of something right now. I pray, Lord, give them the faith to trust you, that you are with them, you are for them, and you are working a way. They may not be able to see it yet, but it is there. And I pray that you would give them this hope and encouragement today by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.